0: your boy Forever Cabron Coming in to let you know To check out What's Hood With me The Compa FC Where you can roll one up With a real one We chop it up About everything dog Politics Hood shit Music Movies action, You name it La causa El movimiento We wanna tackle Things about Looking at Your culture Differently And all that good shit So if you wanna look into that If you wanna find Some self love And self worth Dog Check out a compa Roll one up With a homie dog Every Tuesday And Thursday, right here on Binge on This. Check a homie out, dog. Stay up, Late.
1: All right. Welcome to Sam of All Trades, a binge on this show, binge on this, where you can find other shows like Roll 420, the tabletop RPG show featuring games like Dungeons and Dragons and Call of Cthulhu, Reading Ronin, where tales and fables are read for your listening pleasure what's hood with forever Cobrón, where we take an introspective dive into the latin culture happy news with perry kurtz our favorite wild grandpa who is back from a planetary exile and this that and the other our podcast show with brian and yours truly today we are joined by the great guest john goodwin who is a special effects artist and actor welcome john how are you today
0: thank you very much i've never Done a podcast before. I want you to know that. So oh. I was kind of afraid of that because it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or something. When you <laughs> one, would,
1: yeah. one would think with the, with the word podcast, but just think of it as, as uh, the radio's grandson.
0: Okay, I like that. <laughs> Radio I love.
1: <laughs> so, so uh, beginning with all of that, uh, tell me a, a little bit about yourself and how you got into becoming a practical. Uh, effects artist.
0: Well, I will tell you, I um, you know finished high school like we all did, and and um, and I started college at uh, Butler University in Indianapolis, and uh, it was the drama school there that I wanted, and uh, did a couple of years there, and uh, it was you know getting the leads in some of the. Uh, the productions there. I figured, you know, no more grapes on that vine. So, you know, <laughs> I, I wanted to get into movies and, and, and movie technology too. And I was just taken with the movies; I always had been. So, I transferred to USC, and I didn't know at the time that when you transfer, you're not automatically accepted into the cinema department. Mm. So, I followed the head of the cinema department around for about two weeks with my films under my arm, <laughs> and the whole thing. And finally, I finally got in. But
1: so you yeah. pushed your way in.
0: Yeah, push. Well, you know what it was, was that was their, they did that to everybody. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see that you really wanted it. And uh, you, they wanted to know you had a little bit of push. I think that's what it was all
1: about. Like a little rite of passage.
0: Yeah, because the guy, you know, uh, uh, Bernie, he, he he stopped after a while and kind of went into his office and the act stopped and uh, mm-hmm. I talked with my hands, I'm Italian. Can't see that on this. But, <laughs> Not on a podcast, no. Um but uh, yeah, they just wanted to know that you really it was really serious. And then so so, I got um, Bill Tuttle, touch makeup. Uh, he was Academy Award winner before they even had a uh, uh, an Oscar for makeup. Hmm. Um, he was head of makeup department at NGM. And he won an Oscar for uh, the, the Seven Faces and Dr. Lowe. And I knew his name. And I was the guy that was always you know, putting stuff on their face and trying to be older and which was a big mistake I see now. But um, uh, so I took his course on Saturdays and uh, loved it. And uh, he, he didn't teach you prosthetics, but he knew I wanted to get into that. And uh, so eventually he called one. I was his TA for a year and I would come yes. and set up and all that. And he called one summer and he said, Do you want a summer job? He said, they need somebody for the makeup show on the Universal Tours. And so I went up right away, and he didn't know it, I don't think, but it kind of degenerated into just uh, somebody who's selling their cosmetics. Um, I had to pick a lady out of the audience, and they called it the makeup show, but it wasn't really a show. You pick a lady out of the audience, and you had nine minutes to make her beautiful. And I'm going, okay, well, this is a job. Uh, But then they brought in Vern Langdon, and put together a monster show where you pick a lot of the audience made them into the Frankenstein monster and the bride of Frankenstein. That's fun. It, yeah. After we got the bugs out of that show, that was a lot of fun. As a matter of fact, I stayed doing that for like three or four years when I probably should have been trying to get down to the lower lot and into the makeup department there, which I did eventually.
1: So, so you go into the university and taking those classes was the opportunity for you to go towards, go yeah. towards Hollywood. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I still pushed my acting career and there were some people that remembered me. Ron Underwood, who's an underrated director, in my opinion. I mean, he does everything so well. Uh, when I first got out here I, I uh, and out of college, he was making like educational films and he remembered me as an actor. And I was always, what is a community? You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, so he remembered me when he got into features and uh, um you know it's it was great i got a couple of you know good little small parts but the phone didn't ring for the acting so you know and it did for the makeup effects and makeup so Uh, and it came up through universal when they still had a makeup department there's a whole generation that never knew makeup departments at studios because they haven't existed for years you know it was
1: good so, what would you tell an up-and-coming FX artist to do to try to break into Hollywood nowadays?
0: It's difficult. There's, it's just that more competitive. There, are that many more people. Um, you want to, you want to, Drawing and painting is the background for corrective makeup for the uh, you know, what we called what lab people call ordinary makeup. It isn't ordinary at all. But um, so, your drawing and painting is good sculpting. Sculpting is the basis of all prosthetics, so, yeah. you know, I mean, I, re- <laughs> I remember when I was like 13, uh, I got this book on makeup, which everything in it was entirely wrong. Uh, <laughs> there wasn't a lot of stuff then, you know, out there. If you got a Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, you were in orbit. I mean, you know, pictures of monsters, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I talked to kid up the street I went and got the dental alginate, which you do the impression of the face. And I'm laying flat on the, on the basement floor in St. Louis, you have basements in St. Louis. And um, the thing is, you're not supposed to lie flat when you do it, that was totally wrong, but that was- Oh amazing. no. And uh, so I mixed the alginate, I had the plaster ready. And I said to the guy, I said, no, okay, as soon as I get the alginate on my face, start putting the plaster on. And he actually, the alginate hadn't set up yet and he's putting the plaster on. So I'm holding really still because I'm waiting for the algae. I don't want to destroy the, the you know, I want a neutral I- impression. And he freaked out. You know, he got plaster on me and I was really quiet and I wasn't moving. He ran up the street to tell his mother that he, you know.
1: <laughs> suffocated and, you.
0: Yeah, suffocated me, you know. And uh, so that's, you know, I think we all started like that. Um, yeah. But today there is an awful lot on, online or available uh, you know, so you're not really trying to, to do experiments where you don't know what you're doing. Um, but I just, you keep doing it, keep sculpting. Yeah. I mean, you know, writing, the writing is something I've always loved doing.
1: Yes, but, you know, that's how we met.
0: Yeah, if you're a writer, you write every day. I mean, yeah. that's what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you have to have that kind of discipline.
1: Just me. work the craft.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: so I know the job varies drastically depending on the movie you're working on, but what does a visual effects artist actually do compared to what people think you do?
0: Well, it's all changed since digital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because you do kind of sometimes makeup effects in conjunction with digital where you're just painting dots on somebody's face or you put an appliance on and you don't even do the makeup, they do the rest. But forgetting all that, it's uh, it happens a number of different ways. Sometimes somebody who's gaffing a, a show, a television show, they get an episode where they need a monster or an age makeup or something like that, and they call you, and you uh, either you have the actor or the actress come out and then you do an impression and sculpt what's needed, and then come in on the day and apply it. Uh, sometimes you. You work on a movie where it's all makeup effects. I mean, I worked out of Rob Teens for a couple of pictures. He was very nice to me. Uh, helped yeah. me get my days in, my final days in for the local, because at that time they closed the makeup department at Universal. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. It was a magical <laughs> place, you know? Yeah, the playground. Then, uh, Nick Marcelino, who was head of it, he called me down the office one day because I was doing something in the lab, and, and he said, uh, you're going to go up and work with Rob Bottin uh, at Hartley Studios on the thing. Well, I didn't realize what he was really telling me was they were closing the department. Mm. When I was done on the thing, I came back and it was, it was all gone. Oh, man.
1: So what are your thoughts on CGI? And do you think they've gone too far?
0: Yes. It's, it's like anything else. It's the new kid on the block. It's a wonderful tool. And when it's used with artistic... Uh, uh, ability it's it's great but now it's become the catch-all. I mean makeup effects we had our heyday there mm-hmm. about 25-30 like years ago and then they probably overdid that too. There was that time where you get on a show and they all had to have bladders pulsating. Didn't matter what it was <laughs> you know it had pulsating blood. Somebody started it so everybody did it. I think there are two things that are happening with digital producers, directors, writers, they think that everything is done digitally, so they just wait and have digital do it, which is an awful lot for them to handle in some effects. Uh, also, I think it's post production, and it's all post production. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between being there and doing something that the actor's involved with, the director can see, the DP can light or whatever. When it comes to post-production, a lot of your creative people that are really the core of the movie or the television show you're doing, they're not there anymore.
1: Yeah. And, uh,
0: you know. Gets lost four. in translation. Yeah, there's, in Hollywood, there's always the possibility that Uncle Ned owns the digital place, too. So that go, the work goes there. But that happens in, in all areas of, uh, uh, you know, endeavor.
1: Yeah, um, I am so glad to see Star Wars and the newer shows mix up the practical effects with the special effects. And there's a very nice middle ground where they both work for each other. And I'm sure it's so much better for the actors to see something in front of them.
0: Well, and and it is cahoots. I mean, when they first started CSI and I was working, I had never done anything in con- so closely in conjunction with uh, computer-controlled cameras and digital effects. Mm-hmm. And uh, they wouldn't have been able to do what they did. If I, you know, I would say, okay, I can make the interior and uh, we'll go through the wound, but the backgrounds I don't have time to do, so they would do that digitally. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'd match the wound and then make a piece and we'd go down to the computer control place and the computer would come into the piece and it was a perfect match to what was on the actor. So yeah, for a while it was working really well.
1: Yeah, some of those uh, in CSI, especially when they would show the x-ray, like you would go into the person's body if you saw a gunshot, those were so, so great.
0: Well, we kind of started that stuff. I, oh, it's I, amazing! I'm flattered. I'm watching uh, um, Doc Blake. It's a mm-hmm. uh, it's a uh, Australian um, kind of a CSI show. Okay. And uh, he, uh, whoever is doing the makeup's doing a wonderful job. They certainly looked at some of the casualty stuff we were doing on CSI. <laughs> I'm and, sure. And boy, I tell you, you know, the stuff had to be there. It really had to be big. You you couldn't uh, you know get away with something that was just kind of uh, half natural looking and something because uh, they put a lot of light on the stuff for the close-ups and then they brought in the autopsy light and the autopsy light would burn the the coloring and the the anything that you did unless oh, you man. did it in. Uh, you know, chalk or something so it would show up.
1: Yeah, you got to adapt to all of that. So uh, as a professional, what is something you see effects artists do on shows and movies that you wish they would stop doing?
0: Oh, there are a lot of things. I mean... Top three. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll get out of effects very quickly and tell you the things that drive me nuts. Um, But, you know, you can't blame the crafts usually. Makeup effects, makeup, props, wardrobe... What happens in television and movies is the producer saw, a, you know, a two hundred million dollar movie the night before, and they go, "Oh, I want it to look like that." The writer's writing the thing and they're going, "Oh, what? Which episode is this? Oh, this is the episode where the mother does the murder." Okay, yeah, they had that on another show. Okay, well, this is our take on it. The problem with the duplication of stuff on television and movies doesn't start with the crafts; it starts at the top. Mm -hmm. uh so it's really hard to pick on somebody and i've been in the situation where well i'll tell you a really old story but uh we were doing a tv movie and uh, mike McCracken, one one of the best uh, if not the best artist i ever worked with in the industry uh we're doing a, a monster called the dead eater and it's a suit and it's on the set and he asked the director oh shoot
1: and we got a train
0: yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but anyway, he, said, he asked the director, he says, I never heard Mike. It's coming
1: through. Yeah.
0: Um, it was just work. Don't worry. No, uh, <laughs> uh, he said, he asked the director, he said, well, you know, what color we want the eyes? Because we're going in, you can see the lights coming through the thing too much. So we're going in to take it down. He goes, oh, I want red eyes. And I never heard Mike say anything against, um, you know, or uh, any back talk to anyone. He goes, every monster you see on television has red eyes you know uh occasionally you're just told to do things and you do them because that's what they want that's their money and it's their movie uh but at the same time the best the best ones so that's so what i'm saying is back to the point you can't really hold somebody responsible who's in in the crafts for necessarily being the creative uh, making all the creative choices, and that's a lot of the times why you see the same stuff over and over. Uh, it's wonderful when you get a chance to design something or have input uh, into the into the film.
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't that the movie business in general? Always someone telling yeah. you what to do.
0: Yeah, but what? And then when you do exactly what they want, they usually don't like it.
1: Oh yes, yes, uh, that goes back to my tattoo world too. Oh, uh, yeah, so I'm
0: sure it does. Oh. I have a lot of tattoo stories. But, uh, oh,
1: for for putting him out in in movies?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we can't put them on permanently, obviously. So mm-hmm. there are a lot of tricks. But uh, boy, there was a there was a time Norman Levy was gaffing Moonlighting had me on help on the show. I loved when I was working over there. Um, but there was a big plot point on a tattoo, and um, it was it had the secret where the treasure was buried or something. You know? Of course. So a week before that, that episode comes up, you know, they say, well, we're going to have to have a tattoo. I said, okay, I'll design you something. And they said, well, no, we want the art department to do it, which is fine, the mm-hmm. art department. And I kept calling every day. I'm going, have you had the transfer made? What well, we did in those days, you, you'd have the tattoo, and then it was transferred to a special paper with an ink that you could then use alcohol and apply the tattoo. And if you had six days of shooting, you'd have six tattoos or whatever. Well, uh, they didn't have it, you know. Hmm. So at the last minute, I had to come up with a tattoo, which was fine. And uh, I think Freddie Blau made up the tattoos and we had six of them. Well, I was down to the fifth one before they even shot that scene. You have to deal with that all the time. And then the next day I'm going, okay, they have to shoot it next, this is the last tattoo I had. And it was backwards somehow. It had been printed backwards.
1: Oh, no. Uh,
0: oh, <laughs> no. On, and I want, they wound up doing an insert later on. Okay. Not because of tattoos, but you're always dealing with that kind of stuff. The oh, day, they, day they want it, if you've got one or something, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. But okay. tattoos are fun. I mean, um, I did them, did them. for some reason, I was doing a lot of tattoos at one time.
1: Yeah. You think they would just hire a tattooed actor?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And more time is spent by the makeup artists on the show covering tattoos today yeah. than actually applying tattoos. Yeah. So many performers have tattoos Uh, you would think they would think to themselves that hurts their versatility a little bit it does and suddenly you're covering not the stuff and there's a lot of things we use today that we didn't have years ago but still it takes a lot of time and there's always coming off on the wardrobe a little bit
1: yeah yeah no it it is tough and I've had to deal with that with a couple of actors out here Um, this question is a little bit more for me what's the trick to making good blood
0: oh well There's a lot of things involved. Um, And they make all different kinds of blood. As a matter of fact, they make so many different kinds of blood. I'm kind of worried about our society that worries about (laughs) the the, the color of blood on the screen. Um, I I can send you a formula. There's a lot of different. Yeah. uh, We got away from the ones that have sugar in them uh, because they stain and uh, the flies get on there. and, And usually you don't want them there. Um, but I'll, I'll, send you a couple of different formulas. Um, Kenny Diaz makes a really good, uh, uh I've always recommended his blood stuff. He's an old uh, colleague. Uh, it's KD, um, 151 is the name of the thing. I always tell the story, he hates it, but he made that because I was the rum he drank 151, but, okay. but uh, he, he doesn't do that anymore, but, uh, he makes an excellent blood. There are a lot of lines out there. The thing is, there was a great seminar a couple of years ago put on by the, uh, the local for uh, um, costumes and wardrobe uh, about blood. And uh, the effects guy came, I mean, special effects, mm-hmm. which usually you doing the rig and the pumping and all that. Although sometimes I wound up doing it. The makeup artist puts on the appliance, you put the thing under and the whole thing. And, you know, he said something that I just stood up and applauded. blood is, we are familiar with blood. We know the color of it. We've all been cut. We all know. But what you're doing on screen is sometimes very, very different. And uh, it reads differently. Hmm. So you've got to be aware of that in everything you do. First of all, it's only one eye. But he said, he asked a question. The audience is great. He said, okay, it's about six o'clock in the winter time. We're in an alleyway. It's dark. It's a film noir thing. The guy gets shot and he's lying in the, the alleyway, bleeding to death. What kind of blood do you use? And he said, the brightest blood you've got so that it'll read. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, So, there are always the technical factors there. And then um, there are different kinds of them.
1: Yeah, I did not think about that. If it's cold, you know, your blood's going to thicken up or.
0: Thicken up, yeah. Also, the one is one of the things that, why uh, I had a big argument with the tech advisor. It was really tense. You know, I'm, I'm putting blood on, and in CSI, they wanted everything perfect. These were blood stains blood dries brown, a brownish color. It doesn't say red. I'm going, yeah. give it 10 minutes. It turns brown. Yeah. <laughs> she came back later and go, oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, when you're in a show like that, you've got to make sure, you know, the plot points are, are right. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, if, if a, the only thing that's wrong with a movie or television show is the blood color. It's okay.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. It still irks me when I see uh, blood from the '70s sometimes, where it's like the really unnatural red. But but you I'll know, the that. worst
0: thing that happens today is you see three different colors of blood because wardrobe's putting on one blood, makeup effects is putting on another blood, and the prop people are putting on another blood, or the set decorators are putting on another blood. And then so we the got C- there and he's got one color of blood on him and one color different color on the floor and the different color on the shirt. You know? Oh
1: man. Oh man. And then CGI comes in and adds some more.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> So your IMDb is very impressive. You worked on I mean everything from what Tom Cruise's first movie uh Legend, Mel Brooks' Spaceballs, The Incredible Hulk live action show with Lou Ferrigno, Men in Black, CSI's, I mean Men in list... Black I
0: didn't do too much
1: obviously. I mean still it's it's on your IMDb. The list is is very oh. impressive. Can you tell me one of your favorite sets you've worked on and why?
0: Sets uh, just... or
1: like sh- movies or shows or one of, one of your oh, favorite God as a as an artist
0: um, well CSI was always has a special place because I won my Emmy for that and, and uh,
1: congratulations and, we'll they, on it. And,
0: and when we first started out they didn't know what could be done and what couldn't and they really uh, let me have my way and, and uh, most of the time and and I was giving them like stuff I spoiled them, but you know um, Anything that I, I loved working at Universal in the in the lab. This is before your generation, but uh, you didn't always know what you were making in the lab at Universal. Where would go? You make something for Buck Rogers or something like that. And not, but to me, it was a magic place. It didn't even have air conditioning. You're trying to run foam latex without air conditioning is like trying to you know do the Gettysburg Address on the head of a pin or something. Um, <laughs> But it was a magical place. All of the life masks, of all the stars were hanging up. And uh, every day I went in there to work, I thought I was a part of history. You'd find, like they were doing a Munsters movie and, and uh, we'd find the, the moles from the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, wow. Uh, and you, you know, or something that said, you know, Rick's hands on it. And that was Rick, uh, Riku Browning's hands from the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's One amazing. Day we're, we're cleaning up there. Um, Werner Kepler, who's still with us, he's, he taught really everybody. I mean, he deserves a special place, special award. Uh, but the one thing about Werner was, you know, it was all kind of the same to him. One star was like another. We're cleaning up the lab one day, and I find this old life mask. Um, and it was really crudely done. Uh, and I looked at it, and I'm going, this is Buster Keaton. Oh this wow, Buster Keaton, and where's oh yeah, Buster Keaton, you yeah. And uh, but you, it was a place like that.
1: That's I mean, those uh, are national treasures right there,
0: yeah. Well, and of course, when I went to work on the thing, which I had a great time on that too. Um, oh yes, back the back there, thing, the department, all the stuff was gone, They threw it away or what, yeah. I mean, today, all that stuff would be. You know, I mean, I, I had a couple of things just because I had worked on things or Nick Marceline, I go, you know, um, Nick, that, that that casting of Terry Thomas that Dick Smith did for The Mad World, it's just perfect. He's one of my favorites. I, you know, can I make a copy of that? And Nick Marceline, he, he was the master of the pause. It made you really nervous. It's a like kind of an executive. thing. He would just wait? Well, and Nick, it's, don't worry about it. I would just wonder if <laughs> I... Well, you know, they were talking, oh, well, okay, yeah, fine. Just wait to clock out and wait till everybody else is gone. I know you'll, you'll clean up your mess. And so <laughs> I did get a few things, but, I mean, I just, I don't even want to think about what they threw away.
1: Um, they could have made a killing on eBay. Well, it's <laughs> no it, eBay. <even. laughs>
0: it, it is heritage, too. I mean, Bob, yeah. Burns, Bob Burns and Kathy Burns were the first people I think to realize the art that went into the creation of makeup and props and stuff and movies and Bob Burns' collection. And I mean, they gave up their house to their collection all these years, but they were the first to say, don't throw that creature from the black lagoon suit away. yeah there, There's art in there. Well, you know, movies is a business and they go, well, the movie's done. We got, we got to get rid of them. You know, yeah. Um, today. That, it's, it's
1: yeah. Slow. That's a, that's a shame. Um, so you worked on the thing. Um, you did. You go down to where, where? Where was it shot? I want to. I don't want to say Antarctica, but it was somewhere really
0: cold. It was British Columbia. They shot it, but I was none of the effects, makeup effects. Um, I'm trying to think who did the makeup. was uh, a good makeup artist, but they shot the entire. Uh, movie without any of the effects, and then set up. Uh, Rob had set up uh, uh, this uh, the effects shop at Heartland Studios, and they had they duplicated the sets. Mm. And oh, there'll never be another movie like it. There, no, we we'll never think about doing this.
1: It's one of and, my favorites.
0: Well, it is mine too. I, you know, if you worked on it, sometimes you're a little disappointed when you see the film, no matter what the film is. But. Um, You know, John Carpenter and Rob would bring back actors if they needed it. If they came up with a new idea on how to do something, they'd bring the actors back and we'd shoot it. Um, They were trying out all the different ideas that had never been tried before. I think Rob had been saving them up. Um, Now, we shot an awful lot of effects that weren't used. And I kind of knew that you know all this can't be in the film because we had two hours of effects. Yeah, and a lot of the kids that were working for the first time in their the first movie, when we saw the thing premiered, they go, "Where's the such and such and where's the?" Yeah, such and where? but editing. Uh, yeah, yeah, and they just they just didn't just couldn't cut some of the stuff in probably or didn't want to go to the trouble. Also, there was some wonderful stop motion. Randy Cook and Jim Apparel did some wonderful stop motion, which kind of explains some of the things in the second half that didn't make it in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is a wonderful film, I think. I have to give the John Goodwin opinion, and I hope Rob, no, I, I'm not saying anything I never said to Rob, but, but uh, the first half of the film is like nothing you've ever seen in the movies or is ever gonna see again. Mm-hmm. Second half the film, to me, strays from paying off all the things that are set up in the first half.
1: Yeah. Now
0: we're talking writing, but you know, um, it got a little ambivalent and uh and part of that is because it's a short novelette that's it's adapted from um but still it was wonderful to be on it and i you know i got my days to get into the the union on it and uh, oh that's great wonderful stories about yeah
1: i heard it was one of the only movies that had no females on set in front behind nowhere
0: We we had we had uh we had some gals working in...
1: Okay, well, then I'm going to have to tell what the, the internet that that was wrong.
0: It's terrible now. <laughs> well, I I know one person that was there, Robin, um, having a senior moment. We'll come back to it. Okay. Uh, she was um, um, one of the great painters of all time. Really? I mean, taught us all how to paint stuff for the movies. Um, oh, gosh, I just...
1: It'll come to, it'll come to you later on That's, in the day when you're making a sandwich.
0: <laughs> so Margaret, Margaret Prentice.
1: Margaret uh, Prentice. Yeah. Nice. Margaret,
0: Margaret is so, like such a talent. I think she's still working. Um, she taught stipple color and she knew exactly what red on camera. I mean, we all learned, uh, you know, how to do stuff from her. Incredible. I mean, she, Yeah. Yeah.
1: Incredible. What about one of your most terrible experiences on a movie or show? <laughs> I mean, you don't have to name it. I don't words. even
0: know to think the worst, but I can tell you the worst. It doesn't sound like much, but it's one of those days from hell. Yeah. Uh, I had been called in uh, Pete Otterbelli, a wonderful makeup artist. They, they were in the middle of a shoot or, and they'd lost their makeup artist. I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and I wasn't doing any I wasn't on a show at the time um, and it was a TV movie and it was Jason Robarts started and I thought oh my god I'll be making up Jason Robarts and he was great mm-hmm. he was everything you'd want him to be and more
1: that's hit he off
0: right away he'd had a car accident and his teeth had come through the upper lip and made a little mark and he was self-conscious about that. And he said, you know, whatever every makeup artist puts something on there and it doesn't stay but ten minutes because I'm talking too much or something. And I said, Well, wait a minute. And I went and got some packs out of my effects case that matched his base makeup. And I just put a little bit of packs over that, put the base makeup over there. He came back and he said, Oh, that was wonderful in the morning. Anyway, he's leaving the trailer and he says, Have you made up a lane yet? And it's Helene Stritch, and she was a character actress by then. I never saw her act in New York. She was like a big, uh, uh, you know, entertainer, New York entertainer, and she'd done movies. Uh, I said, no. And he says, well, come to my trailer later and tell me how it goes.
1: Oh, so, no.
0: No, <laughs> so, because I, I could tell he wanted me to stay on the show, and he didn't want, <laughs> want me to leave because of Elaine, So, Elaine Stritch, and I guess she was drinking in those days. But you can't. Some people, you know, the drink. You can't tell they're really drunk, you know. Yeah. And uh, uh, dipping in the alcohol. And uh, she was a wonderful performer. I was a fan. And she came in the hair side of the trailer, and the hair person just left. She did her own hair, you know, and so. Uh, and, oh gosh, what am I in for? She sits in the chair. She she takes this makeup that she bought at a drugstore in England, and that's her base. And I'm going, oh, this is. So I put it down, and I'm really working it hard because you have to warm that stuff up. And I I mean, I really did a good job on the base. It wasn't really appropriate for movies, but you can't tell somebody like mm-hmm. that. So then I'm doing her eyeshadow. Not something. I mean i came in when you had to learn how to do it all and you do monsters for three months you want to do make up some beautiful women you know it's yeah change it up yeah change it yeah. up and um so she goes, oh you have you have more blue eyeshadow on this than this one and uh, i've put so little on that you could hardly see it at all uh but then she's started to, she's putting me through the ropes and uh, and i you know you just i couldn't do anything to make her hair and she's starting to yell and this and this. I never, ever had anything like that happen. To me. So finally, she leaves the trial. They tell me later that she had punched out two other makeup artists Whoa. before they, they brought me in.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh! They should have at least told you to duck or like be ready to duck.
0: Yeah, I know, but they did. They, I guess, they thought I'd leave before it happened. Anyway, so later on, I think it was the next day. They're shooting a close-up of three actors or whatever at the table. And I'm watching her because watching what's being filmed is important as doing the makeup. That's getting lost. Um, and I look in the back, and she's left a curler in the back of her hair. Now, it never, it never would have shown on screen. But I went up to her and I said, Elaine, is that curler, a character touch? It's very funny. She goes, Oh my gosh, I this, an, and pulls it out. I, I said, uh, you know, uh, I, I didn't know whether it's character touch where they wanted that there. I, oh, no, no, no. I, I just, I missed it. And from then on, I couldn't get rid of her.
1: Oh, you know? no. You're like well, a, good I mean, in
0: a good way. A good way. Oh, okay. Am I okay? Do I look all right? I'm, yeah, I'm going, yes. Yeah, you look fine. She, you know, the difference, she knew that I was watching to make sure.
1: Yeah. And she probably didn't get that many nice people. if She was going around punching everybody.
0: <laughs> well, I learned <laughs> later. She, she evidently was having a bad time. Uh, and you know, you see people early in the morning and, and particularly when you're gluing blinds and doing prosthetics, it really takes a dedicated, actor and a lot of times I mean, i'm going to tell you other stories too but somebody will say they did prosthetics they don't mind prosthetics to get the part all actors are going to say anything to get a part i understand perfectly. yeah and they come in and they go oh will you glue that on you know
1: yeah i have to sit there for five hours yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so what is a must-have tool for any spe- special effects or makeup artists that they should have in their arsenal well, what, what is like that one thing that you cannot live without?
0: Oh, that's a really good question. There's so much stuff. I remember they told us in film school, they said the problem with getting into one of the crafts, whether it's makeup or whether it's camera, you have to spend all this money uh, to get all the equipment and you're not working yet in the industry.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, there's a lot you need. Um, I'll tell you, Chris Wayless open my eyes to sculpting, uh, different kind of sculpting in wet clay, uh, brushes. Um, brushes for applying makeup, brushes for sculpting in clay. Brushes are very important. Um, uh, a very famous uh, makeup artist, uh, neal sells brushes now of all kinds. Uh, I, I see makeup being done without any brushes at all other than a powder brush. Which it is a little different, but um, I, I think, you know, when I think of makeup, I think of brushes.
1: Good set of brushes, which yeah. is pretty expensive sometimes.
0: Oh, oh, oh they finer sable brushes for the makeup. And uh, uh, I mean, Chris was showing me really cheap brushes to use for sculpting, uh, which I thought was great, but you know, it's hard to find it sometimes. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So we've already kind of talked about this, but what is your favorite special effects movie or
0: artist? Well, Dick Smith and Bill Tuttle were, I mean, uh and John Chambers, the, the big three. Now I I didn't get to do a movie with John Chambers. I would go to over to his house. Uh and Bill showed me so much. And his his brother, Tom Tuttle, when Bill was away one year, showed me a like, lot. He was like Dick Van Dyke's person like but Dick Smith, I remember writing letters, too. He would always answer your letters, and maybe like six months later. Uh, you know, even after I knew most of the stuff, or, you know, I wish I'd had it earlier. He had a course that you could take, and I paid to do that and, and just get the literature, you know, because um, I might have had some gaps in what he'd already sent me. But... Um, he's probably the most famous all around makeup artist. I mean, you know, he's remembered for, for all the prosthetics, but he did it all. He was a makeup
1: artist. Yeah. I mean, um, no, those, And it was amazing back then because they were making up everything. You had to make it up. There was nobody, nobody already made it.
0: I'll never forget when I was a kid, we took a family vacation and um, we did the universal tours mm-hmm. and it's odd that I wound up working there years later, but, Made an impression, I guess. But the first actor I ever uh, saw walk off of a soundstage was Jack Cassidy. He was probably doing some, you know, movie of the week at Universal or something. And I looked at him, I thought he was playing an Indian. You know, the makeup was so brightly orange and red. And of course, you know, it didn't look that way on film because they used all the lights then. And if you didn't bring up the flesh tone like that, like uh like I have a natural like look at the red why well, we can't see it. on
1: the <laughs> But yeah, pinkish, uh white. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I look like I'm being strangled. See. That's a <laughs> that's a really good look for when I came in the movies. They don't they use bounce lighting now. Um but still if you're out at the beach and they've got a nine light on or something, you've got to know to bring that color up. Otherwise, you know, people look like white slugs on camera. Yeah quite that bad now, but I think they've gone too much the other way. I'll even see prosthetic guys that do the wonderful, and gals, and uh, do wonderful sculptures, make the appliances, apply them, no edges, are, and but they don't get enough color on them, and they just go flat. Mm-hmm. You need more color on a piece of rubber uh, than you do on the, on the face just to match. And silicone is extremely popular now. It's a wonderful wonderful material but just like digital they tend to think okay now we use silicone and silicone can be too heavy for certain appliances i mean where the face begins to sag because the two you have to have to use it solid yeah Uh, you can't whip it because it loses its translucency and the thing about um, silicone is when it looks great it's perfect but if there's something wrong or a lighting setup isn't right or they're seeing it at a strange angle you can't really change much with silicone if you're using rubber you could come in and add to it or take away from it or whatever but the color is either in the silicone or it isn't hmm. there with some parameters there's the tattoo colors and all that which right. is silicone is great you know um but it's another tool you're always looking for the appropriate one you know if digital's appropriate use digital but don't
1: use it don't Don't use it for every don't throw it at
0: everything yeah
1: so we're pretty much at the end here and i just want to ask you a quick i want to ask every this is a new thing where i ask people something that has nothing to do with anything if you could pick anyone to play you in a movie who would it be
0: oh vincent price is gone unfortunately perfect Vincent
1: Price. Okay. <laughs> there we go. I, I see it. You
0: can't see this on, on camera, but i explain. I was at a matinee of three Edgar Allan Poe Vincent Price films, and, and I, I learned how to raise that eyebrow, you see. And you can't, I mean, there we go, like this. But it's the wrong eyebrow. It was oh. on film. He was raising the other eyebrow, which I can't do. You know,
1: how, how come we can't raise the other eyebrow? Because I could raise oh. my right one. I can't raise the other one. I don't know. It's probably left or right-handed
0: thing or something. Who knows? That's interesting. I never do that. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, ice uh, today, I don't know. Um, oh, who knows? Well, Vincent I, Price is amazing.
1: That's a, per- that's, I, that's perfect.
0: <laughs> Vincent like that. Price. At Vincent... the growlings. I used to do Princeton vibes. <laughs> 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 that's great.
1: Well, John, I just want to thank you again for coming onto the show. Sam of all trades. Um, it well, was a, yeah, it was a pleasure and an honor uh, to speak with you, and I'd love to have you on again. I know you have a lot of stories I'd love to hear. Um, I, I didn't. I one of my favorite movies, Tremors. You were on as an actor, well, you know, story. real small, real bit part. But I because I, I remember,
0: remember the when, fellow Ron Underwood directed that the guy I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not trying to plug him, but he, he is such a good director that he has. Not, I think when you do one thing really well, you get famous for it. You do everything really well, and they don't know who you are.
1: That that's really true. Actually, that's weird. I didn't even think about it that way. But Tremors, uh, I, I saw on your IMDb, and I had to I had to find you on that. And I was like, oh okay, because I love that movie. Um, but I'd l- what's that?
0: Yeah, we'll we'll save it for another. one Okay. Yeah,
1: we we I, I'd love to have you on again, and um, yeah, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Well, uh,
0: this is my first podcast. I was a virgin as far as podcasting, and it's well, so nice for you.
1: Well, I hope we, I hope we were nice and gentle, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> hope to have you on again uh, in the future, man. You take thank care. You. Thank you so much.